Uh, welcome, everyone, to this guidelines podcast session. I'm happy to have everyone listening. Tonight's podcast is regarding the paper, Congress of Neurological Surgeons, Systematic Review and Evidence-Based Guidelines for Perioperative Spine. This is the second guideline in this, uh, in this series of uh, papers. This one is regarding preoperative opioid evaluation. And we are honored to welcome two of the authors of uh, this paper uh, with us tonight to, to discuss the paper, uh, maybe answer a few questions and explain the impetus for doing this work and what they found. So without further ado, I will turn over the uh, first part of the uh, conversation to Dr. Sanjay Dahl. Thanks, Brad. My name is Sanjay Dahl. I'm the chief of neurosurgery at Harvard UCLA Medical Center in Los Angeles. I worked with Dr. Marjorie Wang, um, who's on this podcast, as well as co-chaired the Perioperative Spine Guidelines Committee with Praveen Mumineni and Dan Ho. The whole purpose of this was we in the spine section have generated several guidelines over the years. And in the past few years, we realized that there was a great deal of importance to providing a comprehensive set of guidelines on the perioperative management of spine surgery patients. This is part of the first set, which is preoperative spine guidelines, looking at preoperative optimization of patients. And this specific topic we're talking, talking about tonight is of the utmost importance, which is relevant to opioids. And I'm going to let Dr. Wang present more on that. Thanks, Sanjay. Uh, I'm Marjorie, Marjorie Wag. I'm a, a vice chair of clinical operations and quality at the Medical College of Wisconsin and uh, worked with a, a big team on this project, which, as Sanjay said, is really important uh, opioid use has, of course, been a topic of intense scrutiny and also an area of a lot of research. So there's a lot of new papers coming out every day, and I think we learn more as, as time goes on. So today I'm gonna to just summarize for you the uh, guidelines we did on preoperative opioid evaluation. And this was designed again with the PICO questions, trying to address a clinically relevant question. And, and really what we targeted was um, for elective spine surgery for degenerative conditions, uh, we wanted to investigate the relationship between dose and duration of preoperative opioids and postoperative outcomes. And then th that was our first two questions. And then the third question was to see if, we, if there was evidence to support an intervention such as opioid weeding and whether or not that uh, resulted in a difference in outcomes. So um, in our review, there are a large number of papers that dealt with the topic, but after applying the, um, our algorithm, we uh, reviewed a total of 41 uh, papers. And it, it was very interesting to see that um, while we thought there'd be a lot of information about morphine milliequivalents, most of the data really focused on duration. And um, what we found is a very, uh, I think, a grade B evidence, level two studies, that uh, showed a strong association between duration of preoperative opioid use and a risk of chronic opioid use after surgery and also worse outcomes. And there are a number of outcomes addressed. So not only patient reported outcomes such as NDI or ODI, but also return to work, higher costs, um, wound dehiscence or infection, and uh, visits to the emergency room. So duration, uh, we found a number of studies that really showed a strong relationship with duration and outcome. 
For the second question, here we were wanting to focus more on a dose response, so morphine milliequivalents. But what we found is that most of the studies uh, were retrospective in nature and really addressed it as uh, yes, no. Were you on any preoperative opioids versus none? And there were a few that looked at uh, what they called weak versus strong opioids. And uh, really, we found one that looked at the morphine milliequivalents and intermittent use versus uh, continuous use and tried to look at that relationship. So here again, level two evidence, um, grade B recommendation, uh, that preoperative opioid use, yes or no. Uh, so using preoperative opioids is associated again with the with chronic opioid use, worse outcomes. So a pretty strong evidence there uh, for cervical lumbar deformity surgery. And I think the, the one uh, paper uh, that used the organ PDMP to look at dose showed that a higher dose and a longer duration was associated with a higher risk of postoperative use. And even patients who are opioid naive had an increased risk of becoming chronic opioid dependent after surgery. The third question that we looked at was looking at a wean. And really we did not find very much evidence there, just one paper. So this is a, a grade I for, for guidelines. So there's insufficient evidence. And that paper uh, suggested that uh, a holiday, a drug holiday or an opioid free time was associated with better outcomes. So that if you didn't use opioids for a, few, for a period of time before surgery, your risk of poor outcome was more similar to an opioid naive person than somebody who used chronic opioids. So I think we learned a lot from, from this review, uh, but it also highlighted some areas that we really need to have further research. And I think the question, you know, in practice, at least here, we have certain morphine milliequivalent cutoffs that we use, you know, 45 and, and 80 is, are kind of the cutoffs that we use here. But the evidence there, at least with the spine literature, is not that strong. So I think that further studies needed there and, and definitely looking more at what kind of intervention can we reduce the risk for these patients. I think those are key, key topics for further research. So thank you. Great. If it's okay, I'll just ask a few questions. Uh, you know, on the surface, uh, tell me why opioid usage uh, would impact rates of wound dehiscence. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Now, that's not one that I would have picked uh, in terms of the the, the top uh, complication that I'd look at, but it was listed in a number of these uh, retrospective studies. So they, they looked at that. So um, I think that's an area that... Um, needs further study. Uh, I don't know if that's because they also saw longer length of stay for many of these patients um, in association with, uh, you know, return visits to the emergency room. So it's hard to know which came first. If, is it related to the opioids or is it just kind of a reflection of this patient population? Like an overall bad health milieu just uh, slows down healing, uh, so to speak, maybe. You know, or maybe it's along that spectrum of chronic disease, you know, opioid use becomes like another chronic. Chronic disease. disease. Yeah. Sanjay, did you have, I didn't, I told you I'd give you a chance to, to say something after she spoke and then I didn't. So I apologize. Did you want to add to, to her overview? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, like like Marjorie said, I mean, I, I think to your question, you know, I, 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 I like the way you put it, you know, the the poor health milieu, as you as you said it, you know, and I, I think this this particular paper really confirmed, I think, for many of us, this concern we have uh, about opioids that are being used chronically and being prescribed chronically, especially for patients that end up seeing us as spine surgeons. And it's really striking that this is still ongoing. And I, I think, you know, Marjorie, what, what, what's your experience? I, I think it's rare that I meet somebody in a spine clinic that isn't already on opiates. And yet we're seeing data other data that really is showing that it's not actually benefiting any of our patients. And it's, it's a really a uniquely American phenomenon from having had a, a relative in a hospital with an injury a few years ago in, in, in a European country you know, that, and seeing the look on their face when I asked them about giving opiates, you know, I, I, it made me realize that that it's very uniquely American to have people on chronic opioids. And I, I think the, these complications, it's, it's probably more of a reflection of the overall status of, of the patients that are on opiates, right? Like you may, may be less likely to see somebody who takes great care of themselves being on an opiate than someone who has a whole variety of other health issues ranging from obesity to diabetes and maybe smokers as well. Um, I, you know, I had a, another thought or a question for both of you, which is, is this the kind of information that we should be communicating back to our referring doctors that when we see data published data like this, and there's other data, should we be counseling them on the negative aspects of prescribing these opiates for patients. And I, I'm sure that you, everyone does that with the best of intentions, but I'm curious on, on your thoughts. Yeah, I'll let Marjorie answer first. Oh, sure, yeah, I, I uh, agree. And I think, um, as you pointed out, we see a lot of people on opioids. So it's, it's, it's a difficult conversation because they're coming to you and perhaps they have a painful condition and that's what your surgery is designed to help. And yet you have to have a conversation with them that they got to reduce their um, opioid medication before surgery. So it's a, that's a challenging conversation. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we'll kind of couch it in that, you know, we're going to have to manage your pain after surgery too. So if you're starting at a really high level of morphine milliequivalence, it's going to be really hard to, to help you with your surgical pain. So sometimes that helps, I think, um, and then like a conversation with their referring provider, which, you know, may be their primary care provider, um, trying to transition them to the surgery. And, and, and I think um, that emphasizes the importance of teamwork with, the, with your pain physician and your primary care providers. Part of me is interested in, in trying to figure out if, you know, from the patient's perspective, if this is like a chicken and egg thing, right? They're coming to you and presumably all the patients in, the, in these studies have surgical lesions, right? And, and have, a, have a radiographic finding and a, a, a real cause of pain, a herniated disc or, or what have you. And so from their perspective, why, why aren't they and their primary care doctor saying, well, why don't you take care of the problem? And then we can then we can address the opi the opiates are meant to bridge this patient to your intervention. And and that's why I think it's so important to share data like this with those referring doctors, right? Because while while again their intentions are always good, prescriber and the patient, I think they, we also need to hold our patients responsible, are actually inadvertently 
setting themselves up for a less optimal or even worse outcome. Right. You know, I, I often in the spine clinic have this conversation with patients as well. When I see them and I, I say, you know, when I talk to them and I, I often tell them that they should do everything they can to be off of opiates and that there's, I, I cite this study and I, before that I cited whatever other literature was out there that it's not helping them. And obviously, like you might expect, that's not always the most fun conversation to have with a patient. And oftentimes they're not happy with me when I tell them that. But, you know, from time to time, it has an impact. In fact, literally yesterday, I got a letter from a patient that I saw maybe a year ago, and he actually tracked me down. I just moved to Southern California and he found me and sent me this letter, two page letter thanking me for, you know, giving him that, you know, that talk and how he had completely turned his life around. He stopped taking opiates and he started exercising and his back pain magically went away. And he just sent that letter to say, thank you. So I think it does have an impact when we, we counsel our patients and the referring docs uh, so that they understand that these opiates aren't actually benefiting patients really at all. I was just going to say, I think the other thing, you know, we always want people to go through, you know, some uh, medical management, you know, when they initially have an episode, but I, I think there's more and more evidence about duration. So, you know, perhaps there should be a time limit, you know, you can give people some bridging opioids, but maybe it shouldn't be past a certain amount of time and a certain amount. And I think as we learn more that that may help inform, you know, you have a window that you can do this. And then after that, perhaps you need to, to change. change. That's, that's an excellent point. And, and what do you think, I mean, what's your sense of the time frame of that window? A lot of the studies have used three months, but it's been variable. So, um, but three months gives you time to put some, you know, somebody with an acute problem does six weeks of PT, right? That, that should give you plenty of time to, get to the point of saying, all right, surgery is really necessary in your case. Yeah. And so, so far, I would say that the, most of the literature is focused on that as the time frame. The, this, the third question where it's incomplete or inconclusive, it's an I because there's not enough evidence, but the, the, the study that you mentioned did point in a uh, direction that would indicate that reducing or, or weaning off of preoperative opiates. How, how much of that paper, uh, I feel like that, that's got a, a, a high uh, potential to have some selection bias because how, you know, if the patients that can wean, you know, I, I, I know how much of a struggle it is to get patients to wean down on opiates. The patients that are able to do that, I feel like are probably, you're probably selecting out a different population than, than your general population. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, you know, these study, a lot of these studies are database studies, they're retrospective. So you're looking at, you know, what people filled, you know, in the claims data or in the chart review, but you don't actually know what they're taking or how often many, much of the time. So I think, you know, a prospective study is going to, even if it's smaller, I think it needs to be done. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great point. So a couple other questions. In, in your research for this paper, did you get the sense that similar studies were happening in other surgical subspecialties or is, is, is any other surgical subspecialty further along than neurosurgery is in trying to figure out this problem? 
Uh, well, we focused really on spine. Um, I do think it's a very hot topic for all uh, all surgeons, and you know we have these system wide. Um, sort of discussions about how much you should prescribe after surgery. And now that you can do electronic prescribing, you know, can you just really limit the number of days? And we did also see some evidence that the amount that you give after surgery does have an influence on how long you're on it, uh, on uh, opioids afterwards. So, you know, I think, I think we need to learn more, but even since we finished the guidelines, there, there have been other uh, publications that I think really inform this discussion. Are any of the different surgeries, you know, a, a lumbar, you know, a T-lift, are, are, is the data more compelling for one type of surgery versus another? Or one body, you know, one uh, anatomic location versus another? Any, any specific uh, area you found this to be the most uh, compelling data? And we really saw it across all types of surgery. And I would say that what struck me is uh, that we even saw many of the papers dealing with one or two level ACDFs, which I personally would have thought would be a, a lower opioid, uh, you know, lower risk surgery and a surgery where patients really don't have much pain afterwards and they found the same relationships. Wow. So that's yeah. very interesting. That's a, that's a very interesting uh, point. Um, so, so wrapping it up over the next couple of minutes, how, how has this, how did this work change both of your practices? Uh, for me, I think it's really helped me, uh, discuss with patients better. Like before it was always like, well, you should, you know, wean your opioids. It's, it's going to be better. We can manage your pain better afterwards. But no, I think with this, the guidelines, it's a lot more concrete. And then we're also able to, um, I'm, I was able to use these guidelines to talk with our um, primary care physicians, for example, or um, other referring providers and to, to kind of, you know, get uh, consensus across the team that we want to work together to wean opioids, yeah, or reduce opioids. Great, Sanjay? Yeah, I, I, I agree with Marjorie. I, I think that um, it's it's provided, this, this paper has really helped because not only can we just say, in the past, we could say, you know, if you use a lot of opiates, it's bad for you. We can actually counsel a patient, right? Because they don't want to be in pain, that if you continue to use opiates, your likelihood of a complication or a outcome that you're not happy with is actually higher. So that is actually, that's a pretty powerful message to patients and that helps sometimes. And I think I cited an example of that earlier and I, and, and Marjorie, I think that's a great idea of taking it back to the referring doctors as well and, and trying to come up with some sort of consensus because I think we understand obviously that they're, they are prescribing because they feel a lot of pressure to do so, not necessarily because they want to. So hopefully this is helpful to them as well. Well, uh, we're running low on time. Uh, and I will say that this, this uh, podcast for me probably passed the quickest of any of these podcasts. I, I thought that was a really great discussion. That's a very interesting paper. Um, I, I also want to recognize uh, both authors as well as their uh, co-authors who couldn't be here tonight for their the tremendous amount of work that goes into uh, putting together a podcast. So uh, thank you to Dr. Marjorie Wong and Dr. Sanjay Dahl for joining us uh, for an excellent conversation. Uh, we also thank you for listening and look forward to providing additional podcasts regarding guidelines in the future. 
Uh, my best to everybody and have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Night.